Lob it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hashtag Jazz. My name is Jason Walker. I am Trey Sanders. And things are going pretty well for the Jazz right now. They they could be worse. Uh, they were worse for a few games, but now the Jazz are on a nice little two-game win streak, which I don't know. I, I'm not as impressed with this two-game win streak. Uh, there's still some things you can definitely point out that haven't been great. I mean, they struggled against the Timberwolves who are missing Jimmy Butler. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns ejected at halftime and Jeff Teague was ejected. I can't remember exactly when, but even after all that, it took all of that for the Jazz to finally pull away, which, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't a bad game, but it was still like, it felt like they should have been doing more. We were, I feel like we're just given this, this taste of what they could be with that win streak, and now that they've regressed, we're all like, disappointed that they're not doing that still i'm gonna have to disagree with you there because i saw a two really really good teams going at each other um obviously carl anthony towns went out before the first half was up but i think it was just as much give as it was take for both teams both teams were fighting to the very end yeah it was a mucked up game it wasn't high scoring by any means but um that was that was the toughness that this team has that was that was them fighting back um i i drew a direct correlation to the rockets game and man is it a is a drastic contrast because of the houston game we got punched we got punched we got punched until we gave up the, the minnesota game we got punched and punched and punched but we were punching back and that was really nice to see. And we were making plays when they counted, and the defense was consistently there. There was some weird turnover issues, especially Joe Ingles at the top of the key. I think it was like two or three minutes into the third quarter, and he was like trying to direct traffic, and then saw Donovan and just was like, eh. <laughs> Over to Donovan on the right corner, or the right elbow, and... Jeff Teague just takes it like, okay, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of turnover issues with the Jazz, which have been super annoying. And they had that story where they had where they had like the three day break between one of the games and uh, I can't remember who they played for the Timberwolves. But then against the Timberwolves, the turnovers were were still there. And like you said, there was the few that Jeff Teague. God, he had multiple times where he would just take it, he stole it and just ran it the other way and threw it down. Yeah. Like he was, it was a walk in the park, which yeah. is super annoying to see. Those are just dumb turnovers. Like I said, they had, the Jazz had 18 turnovers in that game. And really the only time they slowed down was against the, the Kings. They only had 13, but it's the Kings. Kings have 19 right. wins so far. So you kind of right. expect that. But, uh, that's that trap game, though. So I'm glad to see that they got it under control a little bit. They looked a lot more like that team that was on the streak last night. But it helps winning that hard-fought game, uh, as filthy as it was, and then following it up with a win over a team you should get a win over. Yeah, it is, it is really nice to see the Jazz finally getting solid wins, or at least a, a win in a trap game. But I do want to go back to the toughness thing because you've brought it up, and I it's made me think about what this 
team needs to do in terms of toughness, and especially when you mention it in, in the Houston game. Um, like, how important do you think toughness is to this team, especially with their identity, with their, I guess you might just say, lack of talent overall, at least compared to some of the upper-tier teams like the Rockets or Warriors? I mean, you think this team has to embody that toughness to get anywhere? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's Utah Jazz DNA, man. Like, it's not anything new for this team or even the teams when, you know, uh, Darren Williams was your starting point guard. It goes all the way back. The Jazz have always been about toughness, and they we muck it up. We always have. Um, obviously, you know, I can't go through my memory bank of all the games, but it's traditionally that way. I mean, John Stockton and Carl Malone, they were always roughing people up. I mean, I've, I've so many players have called John Stockton dirty, but that's because that was his. That's the brand of basketball we play. It's kind of like how the Memphis Grizzlies are always uh, a defensive threat. They're always in your face. They're always getting in your uh, in your space, getting in the passing lanes. You know, mucking up the game. So, and obviously, yeah, going forward, absolutely. I mean, with the next stretch of games, winnable games besides maybe the Pacers because apparently they've had their our number this year um, and the Pelicans who are just riding the Anthony Davis train right now. Um, going forward, I mean, we have San Antonio on the 23rd and then the Warriors on the 25th. Um, and those are both road games. So, I mean, those the, the Warriors – and the Spurs are going to be looking for some revenge. So toughness is going to be key in those games. I think toughness is always key against the Warriors. Um, and I guess you can say the same thing about the Spurs. Well, the Spurs are reeling. They, they are, yeah. They're talking to them potentially missing the playoffs, which has not been something you talk about for the last two decades. <laughs> yeah. Except, except for hot take preseason, oh, the Spurs are finally going to regress this year, which – it seems this has been the year, although they haven't had Kawhi Leonard, so that's been a big part of their aggression. But I think with the finesse teams like the Rockets and like the Warriors, they're just about all finesse with a few exceptions. Some of the players in their teams are a little more bulky and tougher, <laughs> but you know, with the Warriors, one of the best ways to beat them is to get physical and get in their heads. And you've seen it in games where when teams make the Warriors earn it and they get in their heads, they lose it. You know, when Steph Curry, he'll throw his mouth guard and Kevin Durant starts whining at the referees and Draymond Green will do the same thing and they start racking up technical fouls. Yeah, well, when, when you're so head. used to getting the benefit of the doubt and just crushing everyone, I mean. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. I, I've said it a few times uh, to a few different people. I don't think the Warriors know how to handle adversity because they've never had to handle it. And, and it seems like whenever they do, that's when Steph Curry loses it, gets himself ejected. Like I think it's happened multiple times where he's thrown his mouthpiece. And we've this talked season about or altogether. Altogether, because there's the one ah. time I think he did it, like in the playoffs a few years ago. Um, maybe it was a regular season game. I can't remember exactly, but I think it, he threw his mouth guard this year at some point. I think the one time he got ejected was because it mm. went in the sort of direction of a referee. Even though that's not, <laughs> he wasn't trying to throw it at him. It was obvious if you watched it, but it sort of went in the guy's direction. So the ref do they do they call that penalty just because it's just gross? Like, 
it's not you know, gonna hurt anybody you know you, you like, call it technically yeah because you, you threw it obviously and then i think they just ejected him because referees in the nba are kind of stupid and they get offended at everything if you look at yeah. them wrong they'll give you a tech literally if you look at them wrong they will give you a tech so yeah but yeah but uh, kind of getting back to the toughness i know that this team I think has a lot of different guys that really do embody that toughness, which, you know, maybe that's the thing they need to get on the up and up. Uh, Rudy Gobert, very tough guy. And not so much in the kind of enforcer ways. And we'll get to being an enforcer in just a moment, but he just is that tough where you just see it in the way he plays his mannerisms, all those things. He's tough. He fights through and Derek favors as well. I know one thing I've noticed about Derek favors is, you, know, you can see him get frustrated, but when he gets mad, he gets better, which can be rare for a player. You just see him get mad, and then the next play, he'll just throw it down on somebody and just blast through him. And I love watching it. I remember the first time I saw that was in a playoff series against the Spurs a few years back. Well, a lot of years back. I think it was like Derek Favors' second year, first year. It was when they made the playoffs with like Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap. Because mm. there were a couple possessions in a row where he got screwed by the referees on some foul calls either for or like not in his favor like he either didn't get a call on offense or got called for a stupid foul on defense and the next play he had this fast break where he just threw it down and also got an and one because he got fouled pretty hard but it was yeah so that's Derek favors and then getting to Joe Ingles I think Donovan Mitchell also has a, a certain mental toughness even though he's a you know kind of a small guy but I guess the one thing I guess <laughs> you want to talk about is you want to talk about Jay Crowder and uh, Jeff Teague. Oh yeah, well I, I totally forgot that they had a they had a long history, but I you know I love that um, he was the first one to go up to Jeff Teague and be like, why did you do that? You can, I read his lips when they showed the slow motion replay of him approaching him. He's like, why did you do that? <laughs> um, but no, that was, it's just awesome. It, like, this is a part of that, um, the, uh, wow, the toughness that we were just talking about. Um, this That was the night that jazz fans everywhere fell in love with Jay Crowder because of that. But it was just awesome to see him do that. And not only that, like, Tom Thibodeau was either starting some shit with him or Jay said something to him and he was reacting either way. He was like dropping the F bomb to him. Like F you man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No F you too. I was just like, the penguin is pissed right now. <laughs> like, I would be too. Your player literally just tried to tackle another guy. That is not a basketball play. Don't be pissed off about it. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, that was just funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw some tweets after the game, and maybe you saw this too, where Jimmy Butler tweeted for the first time in multiple years, and he was defending Jeff Teague. He was like, that's what I like to see. And it's was like, really? Yeah, like, what? Like, there's toughness, and then there's football. Like, we're not playing football here. Actually, one of the funnier tweets I saw was, uh, I was, it was some writer, and he was like, the Vikings could have used Jeff Teague uh, in the NFC Championship game, because like, <laughs> he made the tackle, and that that one safety I can't remember his name, 
he didn't. I don't. That wasn't toughness. That was stupid. That's what that was. That was just stupid. Yeah, that that's the thing is you know we talk about toughness, and I specifically mentioned with Rudy Gobert because like one thing I noticed if you watch the video, Rudy Gobert is he was in the area. Uh, he I, he wasn't. I don't think he was in the in the front court when it happened, but he didn't even go after Jeff T. He kind of started walking away. Uh, and that's why I say he's not necessarily the guy who's going to run up and deck somebody because they made a stupid play. I'm not saying Jay Crowder would do that. But Jay, that's kind of his personality. He's that enforcer. Like, you mess with my guy, I'm going to come mess you up. And... Oh, yeah, absolutely. He fits in that same mold that Trevor Booker did and all of those... Uh, Damari Carroll, they they were the tough guys. Jazz love tough guys. Yeah, and that's the guy I think of so much is when Jay came to this team, I was like, all right, we got Damari Carroll back essentially. Because like, you, know, you look at it, Jay Crowder is not going to make a huge difference on the offensive end, and that's actually one of the few complaints I'd have about Jay Crowder is he's jacking up shots and he's not making them. He's actually like the second leading scorer since he's been here. Second or no, fourth leading scorer. But he's taking the second most amount of shots since then, behind Donovan Mitchell. But I, I love him here, and I and I think a lot of that offensive inefficiency can be pegged on, one, he's not a super good offensive player, and two, he's played eight games with the Jazz. It's remarkable he's done this well. But so much so much of his impact is either felt in that, in the defensive end, or in that toughness kind of glue guy. You know the the things we talk about with Joe Ingles. Where Ingles isn't a stat kind of guy, but he's so important to the Jazz, and I think Jay Crowder will fill a, a similar role with the Jazz that Joe Ingles does. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to quite the degree, and he's definitely a different player. He's not the same distributor or shooter, but I think he's definitely the that Jazz DNA kind of guy. I think it was what like the, after the first game he was here in Utah. I think he made some comments about how much fun he was having already. You know, he was spending time in Cleveland with the best player on the planet on a team that was in the NBA Finals the year before, and he comes to this, you know, if you were to believe the rest of the NBA, this sinkhole with no nightlife and nobody likes it here and it's freezing cold all the time. He's having more fun than he's had in the rest of his NBA career. No, well, and that's just a testament to the kind of player he is. He is a system guy. He had his best years in Boston, and to... To, while we're on the subject, his best his best years career-wise were the last two he played in Boston. He averaged 14.2 points in the 2015-2016 season and then 13.9 in the 2016-2017 season. He's already at 13.4 in a Jazz uniform eight games in. Sure, his shooting percentage isn't that great. Again, we're eight games in, but he had... For field goal percentage, it was uh, 443 and 463, respectively. Um, so he's going to take his shots. He's just learning to fit in. He's getting his confidence within the within this offense. Quinn Snyder's offense is complicated, um, but so is Brad Stevens. So you give Jay Crowder the rest of this season and into uh, camp going into next season – we're going to see a much more efficient scorer, um, not like we would dream of him being, but um, 
replacing Rodney Hood, I mean, obviously position wise, he didn't, but um, he's gonna he's gonna give you a lot of things that Rodney never did. Defense, tenacious defense. He's gonna get you more rebounds. He's a better passer. He gives you energy. He goes and fights for you. <laughs> you know, like those are things Rodney never did. So I, I I love that we're gonna see him for the next two years at least because he's only gonna get better in a Jazz uniform. Yeah, definitely. This is another reason why I I think when people were raving about Rodney Hood when he was first heading to Cleveland. I heard ESPN talk about Rodney Hood more in two minutes than I'd ever heard anybody talk about Rodney Hood outside of Utah. You know, they were raving him as this really good scorer and all that, and it was like the Jazz, they were wondering why the Jazz would have given up on him. And I was like, you know. You'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's that kind of my thought. Is you'll see. It's kind of like when the the Bulls took Carlos Boozer. It's like, you'll see why we let go of him. Right. And it's kind of the same thing with Rodney Hood is that, you know, I – and we've gone over this before. We don't really have anything bad to say about Rodney Hood overall, but there's plenty of bad things about him that we didn't like. There was some inconsistency, and there was just a lack of a fit was the biggest thing. A lack mm-hmm. of a fit with him and Jay Crowder, he fits. And we've already seen that in eight games. And yeah, just, just moving forward, I am really excited. That's why when I heard he was coming, I was like, yes, we're getting a guy – who's going to play lots of defense. That's where most of his impact is going to be felt on the defensive end. He's a great combo forward. Uh, he's, he's able to play the three and the four. Um, even though he lacks some length to play the four, he can still do it on occasion. Well, but he could do it because he's big. Like yeah, he's, he's, a, he's built like a tank. Yeah, he's, he's listed at 6'6", but he's also 235, which... Yeah, you know, you're, not, you're not shoving him over easily. Yeah. And, and so he can do those things. So when he's on the court, it's like, you know, I feel comfortable with him on the court. Even when the ball's in his hands, I'm like, yeah, I'm cool with that. And when he takes a shot, you hope it goes down. It hasn't been so far. But I, I really do look forward to him. You know, like you said, I look forward to him being in a Jazz uniform for hopefully a long time. He's 27. I'd like to keep him around until he's, you know, maybe give him a second contract. Maybe until he's like 32, yeah. 33. I oh, think... I, he'll be he'll he's a part of that. He's a part of the future. I think I think that, um, you know, Dennis Lindsay had talked about him. His name was floating around um, even before Gordon Hayward resigned with us um, to get him over. So um, I, the, he's a part of the big picture for sure. Um, and it's just a matter of filling in the gaps from there. But while while we're talking about Rodney Hood, um his first game in a Cleveland uniform, 11 points. Then he went 9, 5, 6, 5, 6. Or, sorry, wow, that's the wrong category. He did 14, <laughs> 8, 10, 6, 14, 11, and 6. Yeah. <sighs> He's averaging, right off the top of my head, about 36, 37% from the field. That's awful. Yeah, I, I watched pretty much the whole game with Rodney Hood, his first game with the Cavaliers, and I was actually rooting for him for what it's worth. When he put mm. up a shot, I was like, I was like, hey, that, that I hope that goes down. I wasn't rooting against him in any way. I didn't see him pass the ball once. Not because oh, he doesn't once. have to. Yeah, because like, and it's like, okay, they say that Carmelo Anthony is a black hole. When you watch him, he passes the ball. He actually will. 
Like, mm. Even on the perimeter, like you do the kind of that passing around. Yeah, well, that, that's also he he's older now. He kind of really has no choice. He can't be uh, Mister Dynamo anymore. So yeah, but even still, all these guys, you know, they'll say that they're a ball stopper. I did not see Rodney Hood pass the ball once, not once. Yeah, because and... he's not comfortable doing it. He's on a LeBron James team. If anything, the ball's coming to him, and all he has to do is shoot it. Yeah, which maybe that's the role we want him to fill. Like I said, I was rooting for him. So, again, if you're yeah. thinking I'm hating on Rodney Hood, I was rooting for him to make all of his shots because I still like Rodney Hood, and I hope he succeeds. He's done nothing to maybe help the eventually. Jazz. <laughs> Say what? Nothing. I'm, I'm just making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I we do want to move on to uh, another player, um, Rudy Gobert, um, who's been killing it the last few games. Um, last three games, I think he's averaging like 17.5 points. He had the 26-point, uh, 16 rebound, I think it was, effort against Minnesota. He had 18-10 and 10 at halftime. Yeah, 26 and 16, four blocks. And... There's there's not a whole lot more you can say about Rudy Gobert. Just one thing to note, since he came back from the injury that held him out for oh, a lot of games, let's see, I can't remember exactly when he came back, but the Jazz are 15-4 and four since he came back. Yeah, he first came back uh, January 19th. The Jazz have lost four times since then. Four yeah, it's, it's no coincidence. Yeah, not at all. And, oh, let's see. In two of those losses, Gobert played less than 30 minutes. So, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe not. (laughs) But it's... I think one of the things that I'm really impressed with Gobert is he seems to be doing a lot better on offense. I mean, he scored double digits in... Let me get a quick count. Like nine games, the last nine games, I think. And there was one thing I saw with the with the Timberwolves is he got the ball in the down low. And this is one of the things that a few years ago I was talking with some guys and they said the one thing that they wanted to see Rudy Gobert be able to do is when they switch and there's a six foot five guy on him, wanted to be able to give him the ball in the post and have him just throw it down on him, make him pay for an enormous mismatch. Mm. And I think and I think this was one of these plays because I can't remember exactly. I didn't know all the players, but it looked like that was what had happened on this play. Was that there was like a six foot and you know, like a small forward, someone that's a one, two, or a three. And Rudy Gobert backed him down and tried to throw down a dunk on him. He got fouled, so he missed it. But you know, he got fouled, so that's why he missed the dunk. Mm-hmm. But it was that kind of play where he made the defense pay for switching on him. And I've also seen some little post moves. It's a nice little pivot, kind of up and under type thing, where he's not just going up straight for a dunk, all all, all a DeAndre Jordan, where that that's all he can do. And there's still some improvements, but again, looking at these last nine games, he's averaging 16 points a game, and he's shooting over 65 percent. He's getting to the free throw line almost seven times a game, and I think that's a huge thing. Is 
making defenses account for him on the offensive end because that's where he goes from an all-star caliber player because I believe the next the next full season that Rudy Gobert has, he'll be an all-star. And Oh, that, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, because there's the point where you know he's an all-star. It's like this defensive player, hooray for him. If he becomes a threat on the offensive end and is averaging 16, 17 points a game, that's when he becomes a star. Like a legit star. Jazz fans will say he's a star, but he's he's not quite there. It's this next. It doesn't ha- it doesn't even have to be a huge step on offense. It just needs to be enough to where, if you give him the ball near the basket, he has enough, you know, enough moves in his arsenal, where he can put the ball in the basket on most defenders. You don't expect him to be able to score on like the the elite defenders, right? No, and I, I see, I've seen that too. I've seen him trying to do more of like some drop step stuff, some just you know uh, hesitate to one side and then uh, spin back around to the other side type thing. He's not very graceful with it. I think he's trying to figure out where his feet are supposed to go, still, but. I've always wondered, yeah, what 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 would happen if Rudy Gobert ever got like a sky hook, or you know, I mean, anything like that where he could just roll one way and just lay it in, or you know, he, I always wondered that because at seven foot one, in the wingspan he has, I can't remember what his wingspan is. I think it's like seven eight, seven nine, seven nine, seven nine. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a, if he can perfect those things. Yeah, totally. They'd be a superstar instantly um, because that's the one thing that's missing from his game. Um, if he can be that dynamic down low, I tell you what, man, no one's going to be able to stop him. It'd be like Carl Anthony Towns, you know, like he's never going to be on his level, but Carl Anthony Towns is so deadly because his footwork is insane. Yeah, I, th- I think the two biggest things that would, you know, elevate Rudy Gobert's offense to another level are his footwork, like you said, and also his hands, which uh, you've talked about before as well. Is his yeah, hands still a work are, in progress. They, they're still really shaky. He has a hard time <laughs> catching those bounce passes to him, or really any passes to him that aren't lobs. Uh, those are the only passes I feel like he doesn't have trouble with, is when you throw it up 15 feet in the air, he'll go up and get it. Yeah, whereas Derek Favors can literally grab it from anywhere and just throw it down there was that one pass last night that ricky threw and i don't even know how he saw the the lane or anything but the fact that favors just was expecting that ball and just grabs it and goes up was just like wow (laughs) Derek favors has been so deadly around the rim like the comparison i would bring is um if you've ever watched the mls um there's a guy who plays in san jose chris wondolowski He's actually played for the U.S. men's national team, so maybe some people have heard of him then. But he's the kind of guy that when they shoot the ball at the goal and it doesn't go in, it bounces around. He's just there, and he's kicking the ball in the net. Like It's just so uncanny that wherever the ball bounces, he's suddenly there. Normally it's the defense, like 99 times out of 100. The defensive guy there, he'll boot it away. But when Chris Wondolowski is on the field, it's like he's there 99 times out of 100 yeah. trying to kick the ball. And Derek Favors is that way around the rim where there's a loose ball, there's a rebound, there's a drop-off. And 
you've suddenly forgot about him, you know, all six foot ten, two hundred and sixty pounds of him, but you've forgotten that he's there and suddenly he's dunking it in your face. Like right. that's just I've grown to love that about Derek Favors so much as he's been able to just be around the rim and make those kinds of plays, especially when the Jazz need them. He seems to be making a lot of timely baskets and a lot of really good plays. So uh So let me ask you this. Is it a good idea to keep Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert for another two, three years? Uh, I I don't know. I just don't know. Because I still love Derek Favors, and he's shown that they can work together. They're struggling a little bit the last few games, but we've seen, you know, Derek Favors has been on form. He's finally getting back to what we were hoping he would be. Um, he's not getting the touches we thought he would get, so that's why he's not putting up like the 16 and 8. It's because he's playing with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert starting to play out on offense. But I just, I still struggle to see this working long term in terms of a championship or long playoff run. But the thing is, I also don't know who the Jazz are going to replace him with. There's a few guys in the draft that they got Aaron Gordon. Then I'd be okay with letting Derek Favors go. But See, and I don't know enough about Aaron Gordon, but is he is he even comparable in the post like Favors is? No. He's much okay. more of a perimeter player. Um, he's more of the stretch four. He's still a working progress in shooting, but he's shooting in the low 30s, I want to say, in three-point percentage. Well, he started out the year, he was shooting like 40-something percent, but he's gone downhill since then. So he's shown the ability to hit a three-point shot in long term. He's like 22, 23. Um, so he's he's a very good stretch four prospect, a very good stretch four prospect. Um, he's shown the ability to score. So he's really in no way similar to Derek Favors. Um, but I think that's really the only way that I would let Derek Favors go or replace him is if the Jazz can find somebody who long-term would fit well in the system and be able to play well as a stretch four. Because if we're not going to commit to a stretch four type power forward, there's no point in letting Derek Favors go. Because he's just that good yeah but and and see my counter to this is i i feel like yes we've talked about from the beginning of these episodes that Derek favors taking threes is not a good idea he's not your stretch four but when you look at what um rudy or he and rudy have been able to do these past i don't know a couple weeks few weeks I, I kind of think that it's almost if this can continue going forward, which it most definitely most likely will. Um, I almost think it's worth it to keep them because those two down low on defense, you're not getting much. Those two are so good at protecting the paint together and they have figured out a better way of playing together. And obviously Quinn is giving Rudy and him separate um, shifts on the court so it no it, like if you can continue to 
keep one big guy out there at all times, whether it's Rudy, Favors, whatever. You, they're interchangeable almost. So why why get rid of that going forward if we can get you know a stretch four for a small lineup to come out when we need it? Well, the thing is, it's just spacing and more offensive efficiency. But I think, like you said, we've managed to see the offensive efficiency. And you also brought up the defense, which is a staple of the Jazz, and it kind of goes with that toughness. You know, defensive toughness just seem to go together automatically because mm-hmm. um, they are really connected. Defense is not a finesse art. But I... I think that it is possible for us to see the defense, have the defense, and have the big rotation that would work even without Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. Because the Warriors are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, and they only have one legitimate big on their team. That's uh, Draymond Green, and he's half small forward. So you can do defense without having two really good like defensive bigs on the floor. I mean, it's True. not the o- it's not the only way to do it. I mean, you can obviously our way is working right now with Gobert and Favors, and having a rim protector on the f- on the floor at all times is definitely nice. But I think we can still get the defense while getting a lot more out of the offense. And the only way I think we can keep Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors around is if we get rid of Ricky Rubio unless Ricky Rubio magically becomes a three-point shooter, which he's already regressed since that win streak. So I think we have we can safely say that was yet another anomaly he's produced, which he's produced a few of them in his career. Yeah, I, but I still think that's a little bit more of like time off the court than anything because, I mean, he didn't go out before the All-Star break, and then he had all of the All-Star break to rest, and then he came back. I mean, that's two weeks, roughly, of not playing. Yeah, but it's also only about two weeks where he was actually shooting well. Or maybe two <laughs> weeks. So, it's a, it comes in two-week shifts. <laughs> so we just got to time those shifts and get into the playoffs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where he can shoot really well. <laughs> yeah, so... I, I, The answer, I guess, the question is I don't know yet. I mean, right now I just went up and looked up the uh, two-man combinations for net per 100 possessions. And the Derek Favors Rudy Gobert combination is sixth out of you know all the combinations, and of the two big man combinations, I think it's first. Just kind of looking at it, because the rest are just like Ricky Rubio and Jarebko, and like well, they pretty much all involve Rudy Gobert, like pretty much all of them. That makes sense. But yeah, like there's, I don't see like. Gobert or Rebko on here. It's just so I think the the Jazz have shown that they can make it work when both these guys are on form. But I just don't know about long term. That's the biggest thing. Is several yeah. years down the road, can they still keep this going? And maybe they can, if they have good enough shooting and spacing from their one, two, and their three. You know, most teams really only have three solid shooters in their starting lineup if that so maybe the jazz can make it work yeah i mean it's going to be interesting but um i mean i if if favors goes i'm gonna cry 
So am I. I guess see a grown man cry. I just love Derek Ferris. He's the guy that I will love for all of his career, and wherever he goes, I will hope him. I just hope and wish him success. Like even if he went to the Warriors, I don't think I would hate him. And that's that's saying a lot, knowing me. That mm. for me, any player that goes to the Warriors, I instantly dislike. But if Derek Favors went, you might find me rooting for them in the finals just because of Derek Favors. And yeah, well, and I <laughs> there's there's almost no teams I like in the East, anyways. Never have. So usually, I don't know. I I do kind of like Toronto, but I would be. I don't know. Warriors, that dynasty needs to come to an end. It will eventually. Yeah. I actually said this the other day to uh, one of my roommates. I would love to see a Raptors-Rockets NBA Finals. Like, that would just... I'd say the season is a success, everybody. I don't even care who wins at this point. (laughs) The Raptors and the Rockets in the Finals, that would just make my year. I would be rooting for Toronto at that point because I hate Chris Paul. Yeah, me too. I want him to be the next T-Mac where he never gets that championship. <laughs> well, the thing is, two of the biggest playoff, um, I don't know what the adjective I'm looking for, basically the two guys who have done diddly squat in the playoffs, uh, James Harden and Chris Paul, you know, they're on the same team now. Mm. Neither of them have ever done anything in the playoffs as like the lead man for their team. Harden has actually been to the finals, but he was. That's like, true, yeah. I don't remember that team very well, so I don't know if he was like, I don't know if he was coming off the bench or if he was in the starting lineup. Oh, he was he was the sixth man. Okay, that's what I thought. Is he was like yeah. the sixth man, like kind of that key sixth man. Yeah, and that's when I became a fan of him. But then he went to Houston and became a cocky little shithead, and then I was like, yeah, I don't like you so much. He's still yeah. amazing to watch on offense, like bar none. I don't get me wrong. If I see good basketball, I'll give you props all day long. <laughs> the thing I dislike about his offense, he'll go into the lane, he'll kick back his head like he just got kicked in the face. Right, yeah. And no, that like, that's got to stop. And I saw Gordon Hayward start doing that, and I was like, eh, I don't like that. Because he, he started doing that last year, and it's just like, that is a move I do not like. Unless you actually get punched in the chin on your way to the basket, your head should not make that motion. Yeah, I I hate that that's the game within the game in the NBA is when you're when you're a veteran or a superstar or all-star you always make it look like you got fouled and then hope that the like you're basically trying to make the, the ref call the foul and I hate that. It's a plague. Yeah, when when people say, "Oh, he's really good at getting the refs to call fouls." I usually instantly dislike that player. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Rudy Rudy has started to pick that up too, which I don't really like. Yeah. And part of it is he's seven one and a lot of times I do just foul him. There's a lot where I swear they don't call it. Where they mm, kinda see, see him like pushing him or different little things where it's like, Why didn't you call that? He dunked it while somebody was all over him. True. Why Very didn't true. you call that? <laughs> like if that was James Harden, they would have called two fouls and he'd be shooting four free throws. With Rudy Gobert, it's like, oh, yeah, you're. that's not a foul. Yeah, he's from France. Nobody likes France. <laughs> There's a handful of good players from France. There are. There are. I can't remember them. I think Tony Parker's uh, the only other one I can think of. Boris Diaw. Oh, yeah. How could I forget Boris? 
Yeah. Managed to, I guess. All right. Well, I think that's going to just about do it. I think we're going to talk about the playoffs, but I think we can hold that off for another week or so while we wait for this to kind of clear up because the Jazz have just won 13 out of their last 15 games and they haven't moved a single spot in the standings. <laughs> so, so, I guess, I don't know. It's, there's it's still the two West. games out. It's the West. Yeah, this there's is how it always goes. There's four games between the third and the tenth seed, and Portland. <laughs> Portland is the third seed. Yeah, uh, that's ridiculous. The Pelicans. It's, it's literally anyone's game, um, and a lot of for us especially, we're we're reaching the point where we just have to win every game to really get a chance. Yeah, that that's the only <laughs> way that I'll that I'll feel comfortable in. Like I said, next week we'll probably talk about what'll it what it'll take for us to win those. Um, but yeah, it's gonna take some falling from. I mean, the only two teams I see. <laughs> I was gonna say the only two teams I see losing out, and then I looked at the list and I was like, there aren't really any. Because it's the Nuggets who got Paul Millsap. The Thunder. They have three, well, they have two stars in the shell of Carmelo Anthony, which will always give them a chance. The Spurs, maybe, but they're the Spurs. And we thought the Timberwolves, Pelicans were going to fall, but they've gone up. So you just never know. But the Jazz are doing well on their own, so... Just as long as they keep playing well, and they, I think if they win like thirteen more games, ugh. heck, they might have to win sixteen out of their next nineteen games to get in, like yeah, to actually get into the playoffs. That's just that's tough, and the, we're coming full circle here. It's all about toughness from here on, mentally, physically. You got it's focus in at this point or nothing. They just yeah. have, they have, the Jazz have to worry about themselves and not anybody else. You guys, as long as they're executing down the stretch, good things are going to happen. Yeah. And honestly, I think if the Jazz do make it in, then Quinn Snyder should win Coach of the Year. And I would say Donovan Mitchell should win Rookie of the Year if they manage to get into the playoffs. That will just be two enormous notches on their belt. Just Oh, with, totally. Against all odds. Yeah, like literally against all odds. They are almost out of the playoff race. Like, they say if they lose five more games, they're out, I think. Unless something really crazy happens. Yeah, unless one or two te- two teams have a total meltdown. Yeah, which you never know, but I, I don't see any of these teams going on huge losing streaks. So the Jazz will just need to go on another big winning streak. And... <laughs> Cover the bases. I mean, the, the Spurs are two and eight in their last ten games, so maybe. But they're That's still crazy. three games ahead of us. That's just but. nuts. Well, right. this is when it gets really exciting and equally frustrating. Yeah, and it'll be hard if the Jazz don't make the playoffs because then you know we wasted an eleven-game win streak on a, you know, a futile season. But if we do make it, then you know what? We'll have the honor of getting swept by the Rockets. Or maybe we'll steal a game. Who knows? 
I wouldn't I wouldn't call this a, a futile season because if even if we don't make the playoffs, it's still a win. You got yeah. you got you got Donovan Mitchell, plenty of experience, and this team was held together by duct tape multiple times. So I, I, I if we don't make it to the playoffs, it's gonna suck. But um, I wouldn't call it a failure. No way. Yeah, I think fans will remember this season solely for Donovan Mitchell, assuming, of course, he does end up going on to become a, a really great player. So we'll, we'll all kind of look back on the season, hopefully with uh, memories of a playoff series, at least one playoff series, and not uh, the, oh, we came so close but didn't quite. But, yeah, Donovan Mitchell will always make the season special, I think. But, anyway... Yep. That'll be it for us here on Hashtag Jazz. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next Sunday uh, now that we're back on our actual well, – it might be Monday or whenever you listen to it. But we're back on our regular posting schedule. But, again, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week.